Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey presented by Betches Media. This is an exploration of all pop culture, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. We're looking at you, Tom Sandoval. Are you two talking to each other? No. Why not? Ask her? I mean, I'm not really sure what I've done to you, but I'll take a Pinot Grigio. Folks, I'm not sure what I've done to you, but I will take a Pinot Grigio. Welcome to your Wednesday episode of So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is your pal, Ryan. How the heck are you doing? You made it to Wednesday, right? You, you, you got over the hump. What did we, we haven't said this in a while. If you made it to Wednesday, what does that mean? You can phone it in. For the rest of the week. That's right. You tell your boss if he catches you not working, you said, Hey, Ryan Bailey from So Bad It's Good. He just switched to Betches. He used to say you could phone it in uh, after Wednesday. He still says that. And they're going to totally understand. Maybe don't, maybe don't use my full name, but I'm telling you, just check out Coast. Listen to all the episodes. What I used to do is I, I put one AirPod in. The, the invention of the AirPods. I love the AirPods so much. I know the younger set are, are back to like the the cord, the cord, uh, like the the cord air the the cord. <laughs> Here's an old man trying to remember what the cord earphones were. The, when they had the cords, Apple had those dumb cord uh, earphones, and I would like always just like get them all tussled and tangled and there would be like four different knots in it and then i'd have to you know just untie the knot one at a time airpods you don't have that and the airpods you can just slip one in into your right or left ear and you could just do what you can go about your day just listening to things 24 hours a day i'm telling you it's the way to go so phone it in listen to all the episodes they're so bad it's good um, for the rest of the week. Uh, but I hope you guys genuinely are doing well. Uh, let me tell you about, uh, let me tell you about today. Let me tell you about a couple of, uh, entertainment pop culture stories. And then we have an amazing guest. 
Taylor Lorenz is here to talk about her insanely good new book called Extremely Online, which will be on sale October 3rd, but you can pre-order it now. And she was just the best. I'm just a huge fan of her. And I was just blown away to be able to speak to her because I just think she's brilliant. I think she's brilliant. I think she's got her eye on everything in terms of technology, the internet. Uh, I agree with most of her takes. And, I, and also, she's a reality show fan. How amazing is that is that she can just be a fan of reality television series, but she has like just the genius and all of these topics and just such a good writer that she can do that and she can just be a fan. Then there's dummies like me that do their the whole podcasts about reality shows because I don't know how to write and I don't know how to be smart like her, huh? <laughs> Anyways, uh, you can also use the timestamps if you want to skip to that episode right now. Uh, also, thank you guys so much to everybody that's taken the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, I really do appreciate it. It really does help. Here's the deal. Uh, you know, this is my second week with Betches. And I know I keep probably over saying that, but I'm just so damn proud. And also, I got to tell you, I'm scared. Listen, they could tell me next week, we don't like you, Ryan. We don't like the cut of your jib. You get out of these. You get out of betches. And I don't want that. I genuinely like these people and I want to do well for them. Uh, and I hope to, to do well for you guys and keep giving you some silly entertainment and point you in the right direction on things to watch, things to listen to, things to potentially read. Yeah. We're getting reading. We're doing reading again. Get your readers on and let's read some books. Uh, so thank you for everything that you've done to support the show. And hello, baddies. Hello, Patreon group. I'm doing a live Patreon this Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So grab your beverage, grab your cocktail, and we're going to do a live Q&A. We're going to have a good time. So start the weekend with So Bad It's Good. Just go to patreon.com forward slash so bad it's good. Listen. I watched Dancing with the Stars tonight on ABC. What, you may ask, has gotten Ryan Bailey, the bad boy of podcasting, the manliest of men, to watch a two and a half hour dancing show with stars? What could possibly do that? Well, I'll tell you, Ariana Maddox from Vanderpump Rules and Mauricio Omansky, but mainly Ariana. We got two Bravo celebrities in the house on ABC's Dancing with the Stars, and you got to support. You got to support. So I, I showed up to watch it. I love that I say, like, I got to support. I sat on my ass and, and sometimes I actually laid half of my body down to watch it. I will tell you, ABC, if you're listening, two and a half hours, come on, that's abuse. We don't need two and a half hours. Come on, that's, that was ridiculous. But I watched... The entire two and a half hour episode. The last time I watched Dancing with the Stars, I believe, was like with my parents. And I don't know if you remember the story. My friends from the Groundlings, um, they took me when Erica Jane performed that one season. I went to a live taping of Dancing with the Stars. And I have this great picture I post every once in a while of me cheering on Erica Jane. And I look the happiest that I've ever looked in my life. Um, and, you know, insert Kyle Richards meme here of we were all so happy that day. I had no idea what was yet to come with Erica Jane. I had I was sitting there screaming, Pat the Puss. I had no clue of the trouble that her ex that her husband was up to. So anyways, Dancing with the Stars. Let's see. Let's get into it. Um, a lot of dancing, a lot of dancing. So the thing is, it's kind of like any of these competition reality shows now is that they grab a bunch of 
A, B, C, D, E level celebrities. And then they pair them up with like these amazing people that have made dance their life. And then they go and do like the cha-cha and the salsa and there's a live band and there's three judges and you have to dance for like a minute, minute, minute and a half. And then you get judged by these three judges. You got like Carrie Ann Anaba, you got Derek Howe, and you got Bruno Tabiola. How do I even know their name? That's it. Anyways, these three judges judge them. They're pretty strict. Like even the people that I was like, wow, Mauricio's hips are... <laughs> <laughs> I'll get into that. Anyways, I would make these comments of like, wow, that guy's hips are very loose. Like Jason Mraz, the singer, Jason Mraz impressed the hell out of me. I got a remedy. And then, and then I loved Jason Mraz. I was like, wow, who knew that Jason Mraz could move like this? But he was great. And I, that's when I was like, <laughs> that's when I, I laughed at myself. Cause I was, I was thinking to myself, I was like, wow, he's got really loose hips. <laughs> <laughs> that I was feeling, I was like, wow, my hips are tight right now. Um, so they do this, they get judged harshly. And then you, you vote, you can like, you know, online vote, you can text vote, but you had to vote during the show. And that was like frustrating as an Ariana Maddox fan is that I had to wait to the very end to see her performance. They saved her for last. So I, I was just thinking about this in so many different ways, just as a performer, I would be, I would, you guys know me, I would get, I would get so, I would continually get more and more nervous through those two hours knowing that I was next. And then you would be watching all of these people that are your, your co-stars and you would see them, you like kill it or do bad. And that would just make my nervous. Like I would get the intensity of those moments for me. I just kept thinking how hard I would be sweating by the time I actually took the stage you would see, he was like, oh my God, a grown man, a grown man is drowning in his own sweat on ABC. <laughs> You'd be calling your friends like, you got to turn ABC on right now. A man has just choked on his own sweat on national TV while he's doing the cha-cha. That's what I kept thinking. I kept thinking like, how is Ariana going to keep it together? But she's like cool and calm and collected. And she actually is a dancer. Um, but still, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it. Even Mauricio seemed cool as a cucumber. I'm like, I need somebody. Yeah, I hate that because, you know, I, I am nervous every day of my life and it it bugs the shit out of me. Sorry. Sorry. Get the kids out of the room. I just cursed. Um, I just said a naughty. But it frustrates me when all these people. Ooh, even my Apple Watch just got upset. Um, it, it's frustrating when all these people seem like they're not nervous. Like, I want to see somebody. I want to see somebody intensely about to get sick. Like I want to see somebody having stomach issues, somebody potentially with IBS that has to keep running backstage where, you know, uh, Derek Howe is like, Where, where's Ryan? Like he had to go to the bathroom again. And he's, he's probably like, I, that's how I live my life. So I want to see these C-level celebrities do the same thing. Anyways, the magic of dance captured me throughout the course of these two and a half hours. I, I liked it. It was fun. It's an easy, it's an easy show to watch. You kind of get into it at times. I don't know some of these people. Uh, you had Lily Pons, who's a big YouTuber and Lily Pons had uh, uh, Tana Monjo. I, I always say her last name wrong. She's huge uh, YouTuber and Snapchatter and TikTok. Anyways, she was there watching Lili, supporting Lili. And that's kind of unfair because if this is a voting show, those YouTubers and Snapchatters and all the all, extremely online to drop Taylor Lorenz's book again, 
they're there. They can they can garner so many vo- votes just from the power that they have with the youth, with the younger generation. That's not fair. So I was really trying to uh, promote Ariana and voting for Ariana as much as I can because I thought like that sucks. What if people are actually taking this seriously and they're like, I'm gonna wait to vote until I see Ariana dance. I don't know why I'm doing an older British gentleman. Meredith Marks, you will leave, Ariana. No, I, I just thought, that sucks. What if somebody's waiting to make up their mind if they want to vote for Ariana or not, and she's at the very end, and they don't get their vote in on time? I started getting stressed out. It was like the 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 general political election all over again for me. Um, So they saved Mauricio and Ariana, like, towards the end of the show. Like, the last... 35 minutes, Mauricio finally came on, and then uh, Ariana was the last one to go. So I'm watching all these other people dance. Like I said, Jason Mraz surprised me. The Bachelorette, she did great. She got the highest score of the the night. So you're like, each uh, judge gets like, you know, out of 10. And the Bachelorette woman, she got 23. By the way, I hope I'm not spoiling anything if you guys are like, I was waiting for Thursday to watch Dancing with the Stars. Sorry, skip ahead. Um, she got like the highest uh, number of votes of any of them. I think it was like 23. And then Jason Mraz got the second at 21 and Ariana tied that at 21. Um, but uh, you had you had Jamie Lynn Spears and they were very supportive of Jamie Lynn Spears. And Lynn Spears, Brittany and Jamie Lynn's mother, was in the audience, which is interesting because there was a news story in the Daily Mail today that... Um, that Lynn Spears, their mother, is down on her luck and needs to start uh, being a substitute teacher to make money. Now, these stories, I never know if they have any truth to them or not. Usually they don't. But if they do, sometimes they're pushed out by people that want to get that message out there. But I got to tell you, Lynn, if this is true in any way, you shouldn't be in LA supporting Jamie Lynn. You should be teaching those kids as a substitute teacher. You should be back there wherever you're living now and teaching the hell out of some kids. Don't you, you can't be gallivanting to Los Angeles. At this point, you've gone to every possible function, award show, game show, everything through Brittany and Jamie Lynn. At this point, you know, God, this is the business your family is in. You don't need to show up at everything. Go teach those kids. Anyways, she was in the audience. Kyle Richards and Mauricio, their family was in the audience. And Kyle Richards, I don't know if you guys saw this, Mauricio finished and they cut to Kyle, but Kyle didn't know the camera was on her yet. And she was kind of politely clapping. And then she realized the camera was on her. And then she was like, woo, woo. And I was like, Kyle, you faker. Act like you want to be there all the time. Uh, it was weird, you guys. Did you guys? I know we read way we read way too much into all of these small moments, but that's what we do now, right? We're, we're plugged in. This is how we we're reading behind, reading between the lines with all of this stuff. So Kyle, I thought, could have been way happier uh, for Mauricio. And at the very end, it came down to Tyson Beckford, Mauricio, and Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh is an amazing... uh, I used to... I've I've done a couple improv classes with him at Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, Not like real... Like he was just there, like subbing one of my classes. But he's also... He was one of the leads on Veep on HBO with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Just a genius of a really nice guy, too. So it was him, Mauricio, and Tyson Beckford. Is it was it Tyson Beckford? It was a really good look. Yeah, I think it was Tyson Beckford. So Tyson Beckford is safe. Then it's down to Mauricio and Matt Walsh. And I was like, 
fudge. They're going to let Mauricio go. He didn't get enough votes and enough uh, votes from the judge. They're going to let him go the first episode. And then I started pulling for Mauricio, even though I love Matt Walsh, because I was like, listen, if the Kyle rumors are true with her new friend, Morgan Wade, we need Mauricio. We, we don't want him to lose that confidence. We don't want him to leave that old Maurice charm that we know and love. We want him to, to feel good about himself. So then I was like, oh my God, Maurice, like Mauricio needs this, which is so silly because Mauricio is a million millionaire like 30 times over. Very successful business. He's fine. But I don't know, for some reason, I started taking pity on him. And thankfully, not thankfully, because I like him, Matt Walsh went home. Mauricio has lived another week. But then I was thinking, God, does this put the pressure on? I will say Mauricio, Mauricio's hips were a little tight. His hips were a little tight. Hips don't lie. Looked a little tight, but still, he impressed me with his movement. He looked great. He's always just there. Like, he's just classic Mauricio. I wonder if he's laid off the marijuana at all. I, I, I was wondering. I was like, you know, when you're dancing, does the marijuana help you or does it hinder a dancing performance? Now, are you, I'm also very curious if Dorit. Uh, Kemsley and PK will be PK like, I'm going to be on next season. I'm letting my buddy Mauricio warm up the dance floor for me. And Dorit's like, I love you, Mauricio. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, boop. I'm expecting to see them in the audience. So anyways, that happened. And then Ariana, she Sheena was there. Her new dude, Daniel, was there. Um, uh, who else was there for her? Her mom, I saw her mom, her brother, her best friend Meredith was there. They were all supporting, which looked amazing and awesome. And I got to tell you, Ariana killed it. She really knew how to to play play to the camera in terms of her facial reactions. There was only like, oh, this is I love this. I have no dancing ability at all, and now I'm critiquing dance. This is this is what happens after you watch it for two and a half hours. You start going, well, there was one moment with the the, the her foot that didn't clean. <laughs> So she killed it. I mean, she did great. They loved her. Um, I'm, 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 I'm so curious about the voting though. Like, I want to know how many votes came in. Like, I really, can we recount? Like, do people like, you know, is Matt Walsh going to be like, we need a recount. I want to know how that all works. Now I'm into like, I don't know. I don't know if it was like, so special forces I watched on Monday with Sandoval and Nick Vialli and Tyler Cameron. Um, and that was like kind of gloomy and it was fine. I don't think I'm going to tune in every week. I'll probably watch clips, but dancing with the stars. I don't know if I'm going to watch every week. I'm going to watch all of Ariana's performances, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm at that point in my life where I want to be a weekly dancing with the stars viewer. I mean, listen, I, if, if, if you guys need me to, I will, but that's just, I don't know. I probably, now that I'm saying it, I probably will. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. 
So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And I also then had to watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City after that, which was another really uh, interesting episode. It's just, it's just like I said on Friday's recap, it's like just Lynchian. It's so weird. It's like the Wizard of Oz on acid. You know, Mary Cosby like didn't even get out of a Sprinter van for the full hour. She had the driver take her to McDonald's. Like Mary Cosby does most of her scenes with inanimate objects. It's like like a six piece six piece chicken McNugget meal she's talking to. Like she used to talk to the uh, the mannequins in her closet. Like somebody was saying, like, I don't just get married. I don't get married. She's repugnant. She's gross. She says horrible things. I'm like, yeah, all of the, you're right. It's just that I happen to enjoy that because I get to see all of these other ladies. Some are real. Some have lost, uh, lost any kind of grasp on reality. Those are the things like everybody plays a part. So the part Mary plays is that she's never going to connect with any of these women. Even Meredith, who tries to... Meredith gives Mary so many chances and so much leeway. It is... I, I truly wonder... I truly wonder what is going on there sometimes. Anyways, we'll do a full recap of that on Friday. Do that whole thing that we did last Friday that you guys seem to enjoy. We'll do all the voices. Meredith got really intense at one point and brought out the, I'm going to do deep voice, Meredith. That was really entertaining. Um, Monica went a little too hard this episode, especially with Lisa Barlow, but Lisa Barlow is unapologetically herself. And when you are unapologetically yourself, that seems to really behoove you in the sense of reality show characters. People seem to really like, even if they, even if you are not the person that they are in real life, they seem to like people that are not going to apologize for being for being big and bold and potentially wrong in certain ways that they live their life, but that's their life to live. So it's really interesting. I don't know. I, I really, I've, I've enjoyed Salt Lake so much this season so far. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on Friday. So we did dancing with the stars, right? Okay. We, uh, we talked about that. Uh, I wanted to talk about a couple of other things. Oh yeah. So my day, I, I, you know, I told you on, Monday, I interviewed two Selling the OC cast members, and then today I interviewed two more Selling the OC cast members, and it's very it's very interesting. And I was thinking about this, because I love having people like Blocked by Jax that we had on Monday, or just like even Taylor today, where you can have a more open-ended conversation. Sammy Sage was on. I like those conversations that can kind of go anywhere, and sometimes... I love interviewing people that are on these shows, but sometimes it's hard because you only get like 20 minutes with them, 23 minutes with them, and you're trying to jam in the things that were entertaining about the show, but they don't trust you. They don't know you, and you can't have these really kind of open dialogue conversations. Like, I love it. I get a kick out of it, and I do these things because I think it's exciting. It kind of uh, helps me practice 
uh, trying to to get better at this. And also hopefully that that some of these people like me and will come back and you kind of can build that trust to where they open up next time. I mean, a lot of people don't like Howard Stern and I've been a longtime Stern show listener, um, but I just love his interview so much. You know, I love his interviews, but he has worked so hard. He's at a point in his career where people automatically trust him and they will open up to him and they will save things for his show just so, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll talk about that there and nowhere else because it's Howard. You know, there are a couple people like that. Like I was listening to Anderson Cooper on Howard Stern and it's just very open interviews because he's at that level and beyond the level of some of his guests in terms of celebrity and success. And when they trust the person interviewing them, you just get such a different interview. You get them to be so open. It can go anywhere that you want. And I think that's so magical. And it's something that I've fallen in love with for decades now over the years with this kind of format or talk radio or podcast or just any sort of interviews. I just geek out on that so much. But it's it's a muscle, right? And it's that thing where that's another reason why I want to try to keep getting better and trying to keep getting more successful so you can get not better guests per se, but the guests that you do get, they are told that like, hey, he might go anywhere. Are you cool with that? Are you okay with that? And and just kind of see where it takes takes you. But sometimes you need definitely more than 20 minutes. You need like 45 minutes or an hour. And I know that's time consuming because we live in a culture, which by the way, I'm plugging Taylor's book again, Taylor Lorenz Extremely Online, is that the, the the culture that we're in, it's very quick. Even with podcasting, they say, I do this wrong a lot of the times because these are longer formats. And a lot of the podcasts you see, they'll be like, oh, it's a 30-minute episode, a 40-minute episode. And they're great. People love them. But for me, it's just that I I like something sometimes a little different than that. So anyways, I did that. And let's do the uh, the Grief Watch. Grief Watch 2023. Where is Ryan Bailey in his journey with grief due to his mother's passing? Why did I just... <laughs> now I'm using Meredith Mark's voice just to narrate any kind of segment. Um, so many people, so many of you guys have written in about um, me being as open as I am with my mom, uh, about my mom. And uh, let's see, today, I told you that I haven't been dreaming about her and I've kind of been looking forward to dreaming about her. And I've been taking extra melatonin to really try to <laughs> speed up that process. I will say I did have a dream about her um, last night, but it was kind of scary. And that kind of bummed me out. It was scary. We, we were in some kind of like theater production. I don't know. We were on stage and it was weird. It was Then it was like a Ferris wheel on stage. And my mom looked so young on the Ferris wheel that I was like, whoa. And in my in the dream, I knew my mom. <laughs> Somebody's gonna like commit me after that. Like, he's like, he's he needs to be taken in. This is you know, that thing in the dream where you know information. You're like, well, my mom's passed away, so how am I seeing? It? Like, I knew that in the dream, and I also I was like, wow, she looks really young. Should I tell uh, this version of my mom that she's passed away? But then it got revealed to me that my dad was passed away, and then I like three in the dream. I was like, oh my god, what? It just it was so crazy. And a little scary, and it wasn't this kind of beautiful, you know, where I picture where I picture us running through fields and you know 
riding horses and all those fun things that you think you're going to do with your parents in the afterlife. Um, no, it was a little scary and I woke up kind of bummed. Uh, but that's, that, that's grief watch 2023. That's where I'm at. And I will say I had a little moment during dancing with the stars that I was like, Oh my, my, my mom will be so tickled that I'm watching dancing with the stars right now. And then I was like, Oh, I should let her know. I was like, Oh no, 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 I can't. She's, she's passed. So you'll just have moments like that. It's, it's, it's starting not to become normal, but it's just one of those things. It passes. Um, I will say what did help me today and helped my mood a lot is I finally exercised for the first time in a little bit. I kept saying, I, I, I was like, I didn't exercise all weekend. I could have, it was rainy. I could have gone to the gym and I didn't, but today I did. And it really, it really did help. It really did help me going to the gym. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yay for exercise. Listen, I don't want to be a proponent of exercise, but I got to tell you, it really did help. I, I did a little treadmill. I did some weights and, and it, it really did. Um, I hate to agree with these people that say taking care of yourself is some sort of good thing, but I usually disagree with that, but it seems like it might. So maybe I'll try to exercise again tomorrow. I don't know. I got three interviews tomorrow, you guys. I'm so excited. I'm going to film some video stuff for Betches. So hopefully it's going to be a good day. Um, listen, what time are we at here? How long have I been? Okay, 24 minutes. Do you, do you guys want to, want to do one more segment? And this is kind of a shout out to my mother uh, as well. I've, I've been holding on to this now for a couple of weeks because I started, okay, there's a magazine called AARP. Now, if you don't know, AARP, a lot of you guys would not know what this is yet because you're all, you know, late teens, early 20s, I'm sure. But AARP is an interest group in the United States that focuses on issues affecting those over the age of 50. Um, and you know, it's like AARP, you can get like discounts. And I remember when my parents like finally were members of the AARP, we would joke about it. I mean, the saddest thing I remember this, and, and I keep meaning to go on eBay and bid on a copy, is that my favorite singer, Adam Duritz from the Counting Crows, hell yeah, Counting Crows, he was on the cover of AARP. Like this was year, there was like five years ago. And I was, no, longer than that. And I got so sad because I was like, it was my own mortality. I was like, oh my God, AARP, Adam Duritz from County Crows and AARP. First off, why did he agree to do the cover story on AARP? Like, is, are, we, are we at this point where he needs the cover of AARP? Is a Rolling Stone not knocking down his door anymore? And he needs to go, anyways, it really threw me for a loop. But anyways, I got my hands on this AARP magazine and I started flipping through it as a joke. But then, listen, the cover, the cover for the, this AARP magazine, I didn't even know they had a monthly magazine um, until the Adam Duritz thing, Adam Sandler. In my head, Adam Sandler is still the age that he was in Billy Madison. I know he's done older roles. I've seen it, all of that jazz. But I was like, Adam Sandler is on the cover of AARP. And then I was livid. And then I was like, give me this magazine. And I start looking at it. And I have to tell you, <laughs> one of the best magazines that I've read in a long time. I read it cover to cover because I'm going to take you through that. That's the sound of magazine pages. I mean, it's not printed on. I, the, one thing I don't like about AARP magazine, it's, it's printed on what feels like one step above like three ply toilet paper. So I'm in here flipping through this AARP and guess what I find? A little interview with Sir Harry Hamlin, Lisa Rinna's betrothed. 
former cast member of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, it feels good to say that. I'm just joking. Miss you. Anyways, this this part of the magazine is called What Upfront, What I Know Now. And it says, Harry Hamlin, the film and TV actor riffs on stardom, enduring marriage, and the power of a pinky ring. Uh, the power of a pinky ring. So I read this description. And I'm like, I'm in on this Harry Hamlin article. And you see him. He's got his hair dyed. He's sitting on a stool. And he just looks like, you know, like, I want to make my bolognese. It's very uh, amazing. So it starts off. And it says, to the moon, Harry. And he says, my father was a rocket scientist, head of the Jupiter rocket program. He built the engine that went to the moon. And now I have his patent. But he's also thought the space program was nonsense. He said, there is no reason to go up there. There's nothing there. Already, I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. Did Harry Hamlin just say his dad invented a rocket that going to Jupiter? And then his dad also didn't believe in the space program? I'm like, this is fascinating. And then the next thing it says, like the little segments, it's the segment it says being humane. Literally the next paragraph, it says, I loved my parents, but they were bigots. I'm like, what? I'm like, zoinks. It was needle drop. I was like, what is going on? He, in the second paragraph, he says his parents are bigots. This little Harry Hammond on the stool says his parents are bigots. It says, the words they used were atrocious. I was 15. What did I know? Then I went to camp in New Hampshire and a counselor roughed me up saying, that's not the way the world works. That was a huge life lesson. If I wasn't more, I, I was already engaged with that Jupiter stuff and then hits me with the bigots and then he goes to camp, a counselor roughs young Harry Hamlin up and says, that's not the way the world works. And that teaches Harry a lesson. I now need a movie of Harry Hamlin's life. I need a lifetime movie of Harry Hamlin's life. Lisa Rinna could potentially play Harry's mom. It says, a fork in the road. I went from an Episcopal boarding school wearing a coat and tie every day in a Pennsylvania Rust Belt town to Berkeley. I wanted to become an architect, but those classes were mostly full. So I took drama and they started putting me in play after play. So that's how he got his beginning. Um, then it, uh, it says, rejecting Clint. Warner Brothers offered me a huge deal in 1978, a type of contract that was called the Clint after Clint Eastwood. And I, are you sure it wasn't called the clip? <laughs> Sorry, I'm so, this is professional, you guys. And I turned it down. I didn't want to be a big movie star. You're always looking over your shoulder at who's coming up next. So Harry's sitting there going, I want to be a real actor. I don't want to be one of those Schwarzenegger, you know, you know, movie star Mel Gibson types. I don't even know why I picked those two. Anyways, he, he didn't get this deal. And he's like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want the deal. And it says advice from the Lord. I once talked to actor Laurence Olivier about how he used props to help him find characters, like that green umbrella he used for one role he was having trouble with. He said, okay, now I know who I'm playing. So for Anne Rice's Mayfair witches, I wear a pinky ring. That's my green umbrella. I don't even watch that show. I'm like, great, amazing. Um, then it gets to the family life. It says, Mr. Mom, after our daughters, Delilah and Amelia were born, we lived in Los Angeles. And I said to my wife, I'm not going to leave until they leave. That's when I'll do theater in New York again. I wanted to be there for them. And I was, but isn't part of Harry's storyline that he's always off doing like, like plays in the Rust Belt, like, or doing like solo camping. Anyways, the next one, this is, this was the, this was just amazing. It goes, his marriage secret. The secret is to not expect anything. Expectations are resentments waiting to happen. 
My relationship with Lisa has always been to take it one day at a time and we give each other a lot of rope. What? One day at a time? It sounds like you're an AA. What are you talking about? You expectations are resentments waiting to happen. The secret is to not expect anything. What? This, it, we, are you this, not expect? Are you, if I, if I ever get married again, you, I'm going to be expecting something. Are you kidding me? Don't, here it's me, Lisa. Don't expect anything from me, but I expect some good bowling from you. <laughs> For new listeners, that's my Lisa Rinna imitation. That sounds nothing like her. But anyway, so my relationship with Lisa has always been to take it one day at a time and we give each other a lot of rope. They really do because that it, they, she lets him go on solo camping uh, excursions. Um, finding happiness. I don't know what happiness is. <laughs> that's a really intense line. I don't know what happiness is, Harry says. Is it a new car? Great sex? I have no clue. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln who once said, a man is just about as happy as he makes up his mind to be. That's how I do it. God, I love Harry Hamlin. That's the end of the article. But I got more out of that than I did like any kind of magazine of like Time or Newsweek. And then we go like there's like your next big home buying decision article. Adam Sandler's interview was amazing in this. I'm like, do I subscribe to I'm not even I, I'm not this age yet, but can I subscribe? Like I how do you get this magazine <laughs> telling you all the play? Then there's an article on vision, like <laughs> vision. Um, sorry. <laughs> there's an article on lung health, a beautiful article on Linda Ronstadt. She does have the voice of an angel. And then at the very end, the last page scared me so much because it was birthdays. So I'm like, let's see how old these people are. The first one, you guys, Eminem. Eminem is at it, Eminem is 50 October 17th. Are you kidding me? I almost got to a higher level of where I'm saying just to jump off. I was like, Eminem is 50? Are you kidding me? And then I was like, do I read the rest? And then it was like country singer Brad Paisley, also going to be 50. Jodie Foster going to be 60. Baseball player Bo Jackson, 60. Alfrey Woodard, 70. Actor Alfrey Judge Judy, 80. Martin Scorsese, 80. But this Eminem, that lose yourself, are you can lose yourself in AARP? Whew. Amazing, you guys. Truly, truly amazing. I'm a huge fan of AARP magazine. I highly suggest everybody read read this magazine because i think it was just very very special okay very special just like our next guest Ooh, smooth transition ryan in the market for investment worthy bags watches and fine jewelry rebag is the answer rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity use rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands including louis vuitton chanel and cartier head to rebag.com to get five percent off your first purchase with code rebag new shop today at rebag.com that's r-e-b-a-g.com and use promo code rebag new for five percent off your first purchase um so once again Rate and review this podcast five stars. Tune in every day. We got a new episodes for the rest of the week. Um, also, I wanted to say 
Taylor Lorenz, there's this great playlist. Her book is called Extremely Online. Taylor Lorenz herself, we didn't get to talk about this in the interview, but on Spotify, I found, while you're leaving me a review on Spotify, I found she made a playlist that goes along with her book. And it has a lot of the songs that kind of like internet sensations were based around or, you know, there, there was a part of like the Harlem Shake, Gangnam Style, Friday by Rebecca Black. Are you kidding me? Uh, the Bed Intruder song by Antoine Dotson, Chocolate Rain by Tay Zonday, The Cat Theme, Like a Boss, Lonely Island, like, um, uh, I'm Not Okay, My Chemical Romance, The Muffin Song. Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae. This is a solid, solid playlist. And I'm so bummed that I forgot to bring it up in this interview. But she is here. This book uh, truly is something to pre-order right now uh, because I just thought it was fantastic. I'm so glad I have this on my bookshelf now. And I will be referring to it uh, again. I just think it is really this important documentation from a user perspective of the internet. You know, these viral moments that are part of the internet but also all these anonymous connections across the globe um, that it's made, you know, through these stories, we've all connected in some way. And in some ways you could argue that we've become disconnected because of that. Um, I think it is just well worth your time. And it tells stories from so many different angles. You've got uh, the rise of the blogs. You've got the mommy bloggers. You've got the different social media apps that, you know, Friendster to MySpace to uh, Facebook, Instagram. You have, uh, you know, the the influencers, the, the Paul brothers. All of this stuff is documented in this book. And did you know she had to cut like nearly half the book? She turned in a draft that was like almost like I think 40% longer than it is. And I'm Taylor, if you're listening, I need to get my hands on that last 40%. But regardless, here she is. I hope she'll come back just to talk reality shows one day because she's just brilliant. I think her dance card's full. I think everybody wants to talk to her right now. So please, if you like this interview, reach out to her, order her book, tell her you like this, support her, follow her on threads. That's the new social media app on Instagram that I hope takes over for Twitter because Twitter can be so damn negative. Regardless, here she is, the writer of the new fabulous book, Extremely Online, Taylor Lorenz. You guys, I am so beyond excited to have our next guest today. Let me just paint you a picture really quickly. I was with my mom and I was really having a down day like about a month ago and I got an email saying, hey, uh, our next guest or the next guest you're about to hear has a book coming out, uh, would like to come on your show. And I knew exactly who this person was. I was a fan of this person. I saw what the book was. I had already seen her talking about it. And I was like, hell yes, I want to do this. Are you kidding me? And then I pushed it even further. I was like, can you send me a book? Can I get it? Can I, can I read the book before? And they're like, of course you can read the book. And you guys, I have read the book that we're about to talk about. And I think it is just so insanely good, but it's also so fun. And it gives you the history, I think, of the internet, something that we talk about all the time on this show. But uh, don't get all in your head. Oh, it's about history and all this stuff. It is such a fun history. Of course, sometimes it can be dramatic, but a lot of it is just so, so fun. So before we even introduce her, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to Amazon right now or go to your local bookstore, but Amazon, because we're going to do pre-orders because those matter. The book is called Extremely Online, The Untold Story of Fame, Influence, and Power.
power on the internet. And it is so damn good, you guys. I have not steered you wrong in books. Trust me, you're going to want to pre-order this. So when this book does come out, and it is coming out on October 3rd, uh, you're going to have it right at your doorstep. So you guys, she also is the technology a technology correspondent for the Washington Post. Uh, she's been with the New York Times. I just saw her in a documentary on Max about HQ trivia. She's everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only Taylor Lorenz. Thank you for having me. That was such a nice intro. <laughs> I, I'm blown away. I mean, Taylor, you I, I know I've, I, I've read. I mean, I used to follow your Twitter feed before Twitter completely <laughs> blew up, which congratulations on your front page story about Twitter's horrible moves uh, recently. But I know exactly who you are. And I think uh, after reading this book, I was just blown away. So first off, before we get into any questions, congratulations. This is a hell of a journey you take us on. Thank you. It was so fun to write, honestly. The original draft was twice as long. Just I read that. <laughs> I wanted I, to get so much more in. <laughs> yeah, you, she cut the book by half, you guys, and it's already over a 300-page book. But I was thinking about, because I know you're a, a, a reality show Housewives fan, we need a Peacock, you know, never-before-seen book. We need, like, the added footage book version of yes. everything that led the cut. What what? I mean, I don't even want to say what hit the cutting room floor, but it's got to be There's a lot about like TanaCon and some other stuff. I mean, yeah, just like moments in internet history that kind of were like crazy and fun and all the good stuff is in there. Don't worry. I didn't cut anything too much. No, (laughs) you guys, it really does take you on this journey and a journey that I didn't even know how it started. And, and, And you let us know that it kind of started with blogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, my book is about sort of the rise of like, the social media world, but through like the user side, like the fame aspect of it. And like the, the, you know, like the crazy personalities that this whole world is like, birthed and kind of how people started to build audiences on the internet. So yeah, I start with bloggers, my the mommy bloggers. um, If you guys remember them, like Heather Armstrong, Rebecca Wool. Yeah. Um, and, and also MySpace stars, like early MySpace celebrities. There was a fact in the book that blew me away. And I was, I slack jawed this was that, uh, you know, our buddy Tom, uh, that was all our friends on MySpace, he, uh, courted Tila Tequila from Friendster because she was getting too many, uh, like takedown notices, I think about her content on Friendster that he said, Hey, we, you're not going to have that problem over in MySpace and courted Tila Tequila of all people. That's wild. Exactly. And I would say that was a successful like courting. I know Teal has gone off the rails lately, but she really did <laughs> a dominate. A bit. Sure. Yeah. yeah I cannot little... endorse, uh, <laughs> you know, current Tila, but <laughs> Tila 2003 was like, you know, eating the internet up. Like she was, yeah, she had, she was huge on MySpace. What I love about this book too, is that this is kind of like a straight reporting. This isn't like these people are disgusting. These no. Pe- no, you are like straight <laughs> reporting. And it is like this. I, I love this. It truly is this kind of history that I didn't know I needed to read, but I do love the fact that you're not making judgment calls on these people. No, I, I think that's up to the readers to sort of like figure out what their own thoughts are. And like, we I, all believe have- I have my own <laughs> thoughts, but it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, it's so fun to like go back and just revisit these different times that we all lived through, but like maybe we're too young to really remember. And also things you can't really process like 
things in cultural context while they're happening. So it was just like going back and being like, wow, that moment was actually like really pivotal or like grumpy cat was like really important. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> you experienced these like you said, firsthand as a young woman. What was it like then to actually put a reporter's lens on this and start digging in? Like, did it even surprise you how you viewed it now as opposed to when you actually lived through it? Yeah, well, so I started as a blogger, like independent blogger. And that's how I got into media. I had no background in media. So it was really fun to go back and kind of revisit those that era. I will say that like, the it, what made me mad is just how the especially the women were treated like the women that were breaking a lot of these barriers and were sort of these like, early multi platform content creators, like wild personalities, like people today that would be rewarded for sort of their ability to get attention. But at the time, everyone was like, like fame was supposed to be this something someone something somebody bestowed on you. It wasn't something that like you were supposed to actively seek out on the internet. Yeah, that was so, almost like uh, it, it was considered a regular. I mean, you, you're talking about Julia yeah. Allison mm-hmm. is an example. I wasn't even aware of her. Who who is she? Oh yeah, she was like a big influencer in like the second half of the aughts. So like 2006 to like 2009, 2010. She had a brief Bravo show called Misadvised. Um, oh my god, <laughs> the real yes. Bravo heads will remember that one. I think it was one season, but um, yeah, I went back and rewatched some of it actually. Um, yeah, Julia Allison was just like one of these first influencers. And again, like came at a time when she couldn't capitalize on it. Like I think had she blown up a few years later, she would have been one of the people that we all remember, right? But instead she like, she... I mean, she was doing affiliate marketing. She had, she called life casting. Um, so she would vlog her life. She got an early deal with YouTube, like the year that they launched, like the partnership program. Like she was just really ahead of her time. She and was now that's cover. considered completely normal. Totally. I mean, that is, and, and everybody is going for that. But at the time, nobody was doing head to toe shots and nobody was doing like, they, these were all new things. So we think of it now of like, yeah, of course people know what a selfie is. But back then it was, she was almost looked down on for doing oh, these things. I mean, not almost like she was like brutalized in the media and like villainized and like, no, I mean, people wrote horrible things. She, there is, she did get this like wired cover story where it's just like, they're sort of condescending the whole time. It's like internet fame. They called her a fame whore. They love to right. use the word of that in that era, which I hadn't remembered called celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> instead of celebrity, I guess, because they didn't have the word influencer yet. Uh, we're so smart. We're so funny. Yeah. How would so you? anyway, justice to her. And you know what? She actually just got in the New York Times today, too. I saw they did a whole piece on her life in Cambridge. So I think she's having like a comeback moment. And I'm so here for it because she, yeah, she was a pioneer. I mean, so, but how long does it take you to research something like this book, which does, like it says, you you start with the blogs, it goes to mommy bloggers, we go in into the internet stuff, you even get musically to TikTok to all of these things. Vine. I mean, if, yeah, if, I mean, the now defunct Vine, I mean, it seems like this would take decades to actually report on how do you really begin to call all this information together? Yeah, well, it did take me two and a half years to write this book. So it was not an overnight process. Um, Also, a lot of getting a lot of people to trust me, like someone like Julia, that's been so maligned by the media and these mommy bloggers that were just like eviscerated in traditional media. Um, You know, it it did take some time and meeting people in person and trying, you know, just saying like, look, I actually know about this stuff. Um, And I mean, a lot of it I've covered myself firsthand. I started writing in 2009, as I mentioned, as a blogger. So I've covered the rise of and fall of Vine. Like I remember I was at, you know, the TanaCons or I was at, you know, early VidCons. Like I've been there for a lot of it myself. Um, 
and I blew up on Tumblr myself. So, you know, I think it was, yeah, it was kind of fun to like revisit it and revisit a lot of my old stories. What surprised you even going through all of this and living through it the first time? What were the things that surprised you and go, that can't be true? Oh my God, just like how stupid the Silicon Valley executives are. Like time and time again, it's just shocking because like, I think especially because the content creator industry is so women focused, like fashion, beauty, lifestyle, like they were all really quick to adopt to the content creator world and like use them for marketing and stuff like that. But um, these Silicon Valley tech executives just time and time again, were like, we hate these people. We don't want p- people with big audiences on our platform. Like, who are these annoying, like, reality TV people? Like, they're they're sort of like <laughs> de classe. Like, you know, we want it to be like real celebrities, you know? And um, and they were so wrong because these are the people that generate engagement and drama and like keep people on these apps. So yeah. Well, the yeah. book tells it from that user's perspective more mm-hmm. than the Silicon Valley, which I loved. It wasn't about the corporations and it was about the actual like user perspective. But you did make that point of saying like fashion companies and beauty companies, they noticed first that people were building these massive audiences. And what I always talk about on this show is that television itself was created to sell soap. They needed something to sell commercials. And the internet and, and all of this stuff is, is very similar as much as they, it's a whole brave new world. It's this, we need to sell soap at the end of the day. A hundred percent. And um, yeah, it's just so fascinating to kind of like how each platform evolved and the different talent that emerged out of all these different apps, like the going back to the first YouTubers to sort of like the mid-level YouTubers of the 2010s. I wrote about MagCon, if you guys remember MagCon. What is MagCon? <laughs> oh my God. It was like the minor. <laughs> it was like Cameron Dallas and Nash Greer. It was this like tour. There's an amazing Netflix documentary called Chasing Cameron that actually followed the <laughs> Viners on tour. Well, I think they were in Europe. And I just yeah. love it because Every single episode, one of these boys cries, like every single episode. It was this like mini reality series. And for whatever reason, these teenagers are always just like, you know, it's emotional pursuing your internet fame. It gets emotional. And it's so realistic. So anyway, I just, but yeah, it was, um, it was, it was really interesting to kind of like revisit different people and talk to people that have distance, like people like Julia and other people that kind of have a little bit of distance from what they went through. Well, you talked about, I mean, the first story in the book about the mommy blogger, you use, um, what's her name? Uh, she has passed away, unfortunately. Um, Heather Armstrong. She was the first yeah. mommy blogger in a sense. Yeah, and, yeah she was the OG. But it, it was kind of these traumatic stories of like, wow, you now seeing the whole breadth of the story, but then what she helped create, we're still, I mean, even the, the, the Ruby Frank story that, you know, like these mommy bloggers, really the power behind them and what they created on the internet is, is really amazing. Yeah. And most of them were really like amazing mothers and people, and they were turning to the internet and becoming bloggers, not to like exploit their families or whatever it was sold as. It was because the women's media of that era was not telling a realistic version of motherhood. They didn't talk about postpartum depression. They didn't talk about, you know, struggles to breastfeed. Like they wouldn't acknowledge any of these hard topics. And so when these women got access to the internet and started writing candidly about their lives and like not always loving their children or hating their husband or, you know, just these taboo topics, it completely changed women's media. And like, we have those women to thank, like we have this completely different women's media landscape because what of the, what those women did. And then they were so villainized for it. Like these women were running full-time content operations educating other women about motherhood and they would like put a couple ads, you know, display ads to like help, you know, buy baby formula for their kid. And people were just like, 
you know, you're monetizing motherhood. It's a sacred thing. And da, 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 da. it's like, are you kidding me? Like, meanwhile, the male, you know, men were monetizing everything under the sun and there was not, no backlash. It is interesting that everything is monetization now. I mean, the internet mm-hmm. really encourages monetization, you know, in that you made that point, like we said earlier of that at first I was like, how dare you put yourself out there on the internet and try to profit from that? It, yeah. You know, it was very interesting where it is now. It's like, well, how can you not profit off the internet? And if you are on the internet, why are you not trying to profit off it? A hundred percent. Well, because everything is like hyper capitalism now. And I think the internet has, um, there's a really good Uh, My friend was talking about this other piece that this guy wrote about sort of how the internet and like the influencer economy has revived the American dream. Just that like in the 90s and early 2000s, like a lot of people, there's just not a lot of class mobility and there was like a lot of wealth disparity. It's just harder to like move up in the world. And then we had the internet explode and suddenly it's like anyone can make it online and it sort of revives this notion of like you know, you too can be a star. You just have to post enough. And so it's just a lot. I think today well, like we're that Andy Warhol, 15 minutes of fame mm-hmm. is that, well, now, I mean, I would love to know what Andy Warhol would think, not only about the real housewives, <laughs> but about the internet in general. Like, could you see Andy Warhol with a TikTok account? Would he have been doing musically in its earliest iterations? I'm you really curious would. about things like this. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, the book takes us through this entire journey, but the thing that I kept thinking about and how I view social media recently is there's a a sadness that I bring to, uh, there's a sadness I bring to everything, but there's a sadness where it doesn't bring the joy that it once did. And I don't know if I'm just having an off season myself, but I think I was reading an interview with you where it was that thing of like, man, I I watched a fight online the other night and somebody died and people, instead of helping the person, just filmed a video to put up on a social media platform. And sometimes that that whirlpool of negativity is sometimes what I'm feeling, especially, and I've said this multiple times over the last year on Twitter, um, do you believe this is all inherently good. Like these stories actually were, I mean, a lot of these stories it did, like it was so wistful. It was so hopeful. And you really, you see the, the grind and championing like women and all of these underreported, I don't know, but lately it just feels, um, soul sucking sometimes. Yes. And I would say that's because of this, um, relentless pursuit of profit. I mean, those glory days of sort of like the liberatory aspect of the internet, like the, 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 even the blog ecosystem, it wasn't defined by one, you know, these specific sort of algorithmically driven platforms where you have to monetize and like commodify every single moment that you see in the world around you in your life. Right. Like that's what people have to do online now, because we live in this hyper-competitive attention economy that pressures us all to commodify those things in our lives. Um, And I think that's really toxic and unhealthy. And I think the current social media landscape is really bad. Um, The ending of my book, I sort of like call on people to build better platforms. I would love to see less profit-driven social media, but I don't know. I mean, everything in America is so individualistic, so profit-driven. It's like... I yeah, have I heard, a ton of hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I heard my 60, my 16 year old nephew was talking about the algorithm the other day. I'm like, you're 60. Why? I didn't even know the word algorithm when I was your age. I know this, like I'm the old funny daddy, but I'm like, you're talking about an algorithm. Let me complain about being shadow banned. You should, but like, that's, they don't even watch movies anymore because they don't have the attention span. They're like, I just watch it on YouTube or watch it. But like even Olivia Rodrigo today did an interview where she said, uh, you know, Sopranos, sometimes there's like an hour and 20 minute episode and I 
just, I can't, I can't put that kind of time in. And I was like, no, (laughs) I know. I feel it too. I mean, it's hard. It's hard out there, but I do think, I do think that like we're in this weird transition phase. I mean, my book is about sort of the first 20 years of the social web, whatever, basically like the rise of social media. And when you think of that in the context of history, like it's still so new and really the like algorithmic driven platform stuff that really only started to happen in 2015, sort of in 2010s really is when they started all these platforms added algorithmic feeds. So I think we're, we're in, I think people are starting to realize it's bad. And I'm hoping that we can like, with these acknowledgement, build better systems. But it will probably go the worst way possible. Yeah, so sorry to make you guys all bummed out. Let's (laughs) talk about some fun stuff. The book does talk about YouTube. And uh, one of the first videos that really popped on YouTube was Lazy Sunday, uh, Chris Parnell and Andy Samberg from Saturday Night Live, which I remember. And they didn't even really even know what YouTube was, and it was blowing up on YouTube. Yeah, it was created as a digital short for SNL, which was these like short sort of videos that would go in between the live sketches. And people immediately started uploading clips to YouTube and it went mega viral, like especially in those early days, um, which is really impressive because there wasn't really any native social sharing. It was people like copying links and like emailing the link to each other. Um, And so, yeah, this video blew up and I think really changed what people sort of thought YouTube could be for. And a lot more people started producing parody music videos for YouTube um, and it it, really exploded. Who do you think is responsible for internet stars? Is it YouTube? Is it like, you know, because you do a lot of stories, you talk about the Paul brothers, you Mm -hmm. talk about like the Tay Zondes with uh, with chocolate, um, chocolate rain, you talk about all these kind of internet fads. What is the first social media that started really making stars? I mean, I I would say MySpace. I mean, UTA started their digital department in large part to do MySpace deals. Um, for MySpace TV and work with MySpace talent. So I think MySpace and blogs, I mean, if you think about too, like it just online fame, mommy bloggers were the first to build brands on the internet, like personal brands, and then like commodify their personal brands. Like that is from the blog world. That is from MySpace. Of course, it ended up being YouTube. I talk about Vine. There's two chapters on Vine in my book and sort of like musically live streaming. Tumblr also, like Tumblr did so much for um, you know, people still talk so romantically about Tumblr, like their yeah. Tumblr days. It's like my Tumblr days. And they always say it with such a smile on their face. Yeah. I feel that way too. Cause again, I came from Tumblr. So like, I will always be like loyal to that platform. It gave me everything, but, but I couldn't, you know, like Tumblr allowed for, um, the sort of like anonymous social media interest based stuff to really take off. So you started to see, I talk about the, fu- the fuck yeah era of Tumblr of like, fuck yeah, sharks, fuck yeah, raspberries, (laughs) fuck yeah, whatever, you know, like, and it was this way to like, and a lot of those people were doing early brand deals, like related to their interest area, you know, like if you had a, like, fuck yeah, bikes or fuck yeah, mountain bikes, you know, a mountain bike company might reach out and give you a free one. So I think like, all of these things blended together. I think people think of YouTube as this, as what started it. And that's not true. I mean, YouTube was actually quite late to the game. Yeah. And then they were even quite late in terms of monetization, in terms of like people then complaining that they weren't actually getting monetized. By the way, that's my favorite thing still to this day is YouTubers complaining about being demonetized. That's one of my favorite. In fact, this week we got Russell Brand got demonetized. Demonetized is another really fun buzzword in terms of YouTube. But in in terms of now, what social media app is doing it I don't want to say correctly because I don't think anyone is, but is there one that's like, okay, I, there's something here still? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say YouTube is the gold standard. Like YouTube did pioneer sort of monetization for content creators before any other platform really figured it out, aside from like Google blog, you know, ads on blogs. Um, so I do think that they still like it's the most sustainable platform for revenue generation, but it's really hard to grow. It's almost impossible to grow on YouTube organically. And so that's why you see people turn to app like TikTok, apps like TikTok. Um which provides just a level of audience growth and discovery that no other social platform provides. And then of course you've got Instagram and they're cloning everyone's features and like, you know, Instagram's not going away anytime soon. So I, I mean, think no, I'm sad three. if it would, because it's the only one that I kind of know how to use. Like I can, <laughs> I have to post a couple of silly, stupid memes and then it lets me promote my podcast a little bit like that's So, but it is one of those things where I also don't get like verbally threatened as much as I do on Twitter. And you actually believe in thread. I mean, you're the, one of the only people pushing threads. I, mean, <laughs> I tell this to the audience though. It's the only place where I don't feel completely negative. And yeah, it might be a little more boring and definitely does not have the information that Twitter X, whatever you want to call it does. But at least I'm not scared for my life after I'm on it for a while. Yeah. The issue with threads is that they're too, they, they block too much. Like they started blocking all these newsworthy terms recently. Yeah. Like COVID I wrote a story and things about like that. that. Yeah. And like the names of chronic diseases and like, they're just like blocking anything that they consider to be quote unquote controversial. And that is crazy and horrible. And like, so I'm not to sound yeah. like a crazy person, but like, that's like way over the top censorship type of stuff. Like. I think people want free expression. They want a space to be funny and express themselves and talk about difficult topics. We just don't need the death threats. Like Twitter is like too far the other way. It's so simple. Like I just don't want death threats. And then you'll get a video about, I was watching this video last week of Sophia Franklin, the podcaster, these two dudes like talking to her about like, Hey, you're like in your thirties, you're bare. Like, yeah, I need 2 million to date you. Are you kidding me? And I was like, Oh, and then Sophia Franklin came back and actually I thought destroyed these guys. And then you see the comments underneath it. The, these guys, other just guys are saying the worst things in the world. And I'm like, that's encouraged. And that's scared the shit out of me. Yeah, Twitter sucks. I don't use Twitter at all anymore. I only use it to keep up with like COVID information because I'm really high risk. So I like yeah. keep on top of it. But like, I literally don't use it for news ever because I can't, I can't even like find news on there. Like, I don't even know what's going on on there. It's just like people like, screaming at each other about politics all the time. And, it's and then I find toxic. myself screaming about it. And then I'm like, <laughs> why am I invested in this at all? Um, in researching this book and talking to all of these people, did you ever get starstruck in a sense since you lived through this? Yeah, it was really cool to get to talk to like people that I had admired for a long time. There's just like, I mean, I don't know. I was just actually last night talking to Ben Rellis who made the Obama girl video. If you remember that, yeah. like there's just all these people that made sort of pieces of culture that really shaped, it shaped our pop culture history. And like, it's just cool to get to like, talk to them and, and hear kind of like why they did what they did made or, you know, I just love talking to creative people. Um, so yeah, I didn't really get starstruck in the sense that like, I mean, it's not like I was, you know, <laughs> interviewing someone that I would never have access to, um, but it was, it was a lot of like cool people that I was like, Oh my God, I've been like longtime fan, you know? Yeah. No. Um, can you explain to the audience if they don't remember, I'm sure you guys are already remember this, but you talk about uh, lonely girl 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I was lonely girl 15? My God, Lonely Girl 15 was this like early YouTube phenomenon. Um, it was by this group of four people, inc including um, Amanda Goodfried and Greg Goodfried, who now runs the D'Amelio Family Enterprises. Very funny. <laughs> the Enterprises. Um, yeah, he's like runs their brand. Um, but anyway, it was this like fake 
it was a fake like reality show on YouTube about this girl's life. So she was like pretending to vlog and it turned, and then the vlogs got sort of progressively creepier and weirder and more mysterious. And it turns out it was all this like scripted show basically um, that these people were these like Hollywood or like they were kind of like Hollywood outsiders, I guess were, yeah. were behind it. They wanted to be filmmakers. Yes. And you know, what's so funny is when they were casting the like best friend, the guy, best friend of the girl, um, who's the main character of the show. They specifically said they couldn't cast an attractive young boy because it wouldn't be believable that any sort of good looking young man would be spending time on YouTube because it was like considered to be for nerds <laughs> and like weirdos. And I just think that's so funny because now it's like you have to be like, you know, everyone online that succeeds is like attractive. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. But it was found out as this kind of uh, thing mm-hmm. that was actually not real. But I yes. loved that thing where it was this tool where you actually could do things. You could create your own content at its best. That is something that the internet has to offer from mommy bloggers to YouTubers and things is that you can actually put your perspective out there. Yeah. And the book, like I would say that those years too are like maybe the first third of the book. A huge portion of the book is like Vine era and like mid 2015s, like the dress I talk about, like, and the role of BuzzFeed. The dress like of the BuzzFeed. color of the dress correct yes like yes. dress like was it blue or black or white and gold and and also just the role that like like sites like buzzfeed specifically played in sort of like the viral ecosystem and like yeah because the- you say buzzfeed was the one actually presenting this information <laughs> is that it wasn't actually being found organically it was places you would find it like buzzfeedless yeah there needed to be this like like all those digital media companies were this like bridge to the internet because people weren't consuming directly like content directly on the internet yet like these days if if the, if the dress or whatever like the post itself would go viral but back in 2015 2014 like you needed this like intermediary to just like aggregate the internet for you basically and um the huffington post of the the, the internet yeah no it's it, yeah. it, it uh it is one of those things that you would see these names pop up or i'd read it and i'd be like oh my god yes yes um you do talk about uh the paul brothers you talk about hype house you've covered hype house before will you explain to the audience uh what the hype house was yeah, yes. the hype house was well. I guess it's still around in a different iteration, but it's. Um, I write a lot in the book well, about not a lot, I guess, but I talk in the book about collab houses and <laughs> the first content house in two thousand nine called the Station, and then the O two L house, and then um, you know the Phase Clan. Were phase- these like boy bands? Like the new generation of boy <laughs> bands were like houses. Yeah, I mean, they're basically like collaborative groups of like influencers, content creators that live together and create content and. I think this really exploded during the early days of the pandemic. The Hype House launched over the holidays 2019 to 2020, sort of that right around New Year's. And that was, um, it was, a, a, that was only in 2019? Yeah, I flew Christmas Day. It was like Christmas Day or maybe the day right after Christmas. I flew to LA to do the first story on the and Hype they, House. They hadn't the even approved Times. you yet, had they? No, they didn't want me to come. And I lied <laughs> and I said I was already in LA. <laughs> You're like, I'm getting, this is my Watergate. I was this like, is... I'm coming. I, well, I, <laughs> I like to be first on things, um, like every journalist. And anyway, but um, yeah, I, yeah, it just, you know, I talk about sort of like that era of TikTok and also just the role that those houses and the controversy and drama that they sort of created on the internet it was like a TikTok reality show, you know, for a while, yeah. especially during like lockdown era. And so, um, yeah, it really drove interest in TikTok. 
I mean, I'm guys, if you're in Los Angeles going down Sunset Boulevard now, you have Dobrik's Pizza, which is David Dobrik from the, the Vlog Squad, or, you know, we started the Vlog Squad. Mm -hmm. And then you have the the TikTok bar. It used to be just a bar that when everybody came to LA in their, you know, late teens, early 20s, you would go drink at. But now it's like TikTok famous. Saddle Ranch. Saddle yeah. Ranch, yes, <laughs> which we've seen in many reality shows as well with the bull. But now I just realized from like, like younger people that listen go, oh, that's TikTok famous. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, is it? I puked there in my 20s before it was TikTok famous. I feel like that about New York. There's all these New York City TikTokers. They're like, this undiscovered gem. And I'm like, that old place? <laughs> I'm so tired of TikToks, this undiscovered gem. It's like, it's, nobody eats a meal for a meal anymore. It's yeah. got to be content. Um, so you cover the the Hype House, all of these houses. And uh, the Paul brothers always fascinate me because they all obviously are so loud. And I just finished watching that Jake Paul documentary on Netflix. And it's wild that he is, you know, pivoted to being a boxer. But they also, there's a fascinating story that I had forgotten about uh, Logan Paul, where he had got canceled for uh, filming dead bodies in, in one of Japanese's, uh, what is it, suicide forests? Yes, um, exactly. So that was the end of 2017. Um, and it was this year I talk about in the book of the adpocalypse. It was basically the year that like media started to pay attention to the YouTube world. And they were like, wait, what is all this stuff? Because it was also sort of peak prank era of YouTube. So you had like, just people being absolutely ridiculous and pulling horrible stunts and terrorizing people. And yeah, Logan Paul flew to Japan and filmed, um, unfortunately, a dead body and then uploaded it and kind of it was became this huge controversy online and and then he got canceled but it, it's once again is that it's these people like barnacles they just don't stop and now people well, actually sometimes forget that's part of his story yeah i will give logan paul credit because i do think he's like matured and he's talked about like he's apologized and kind of like talked about yeah his poor judgment and like i i also like he built him you know he built himself a podcast that's really successful and like you know, he said a lot of great stuff. Like he supported the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020. And like, he's unlike his brother who has gone sort of full, like, I don't know what. Did Jake you watch right the documentary? Now, Did you no, watch? No, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, but I, trust goodness. me, I know everything there is to know about Jake Paul. You've got to watch it. I mean, because yeah. even the relationship between Logan and Jake, yeah. I, they remind you of like when they were against each other. And I was like, yeah, it truly is a reality show. Oh, 100%. I mean, that whole family. I don't know if you remember Vlog Dad Greg Paul, their father. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's also interesting just like how a lot of these content creators have, have engaged with the sports world and the overlap between yeah. those two. It is. Uh, I mean, it's another thing. It's another revenue stream. Mm -hmm. um, you also talk about OnlyFans making $3 billion or something like that since its launch. Uh, they've, you know, they don't actually release actual numbers and how many of their content people are millionaires. But that's another thing that I didn't think about in terms of the internet and people actually profiting off the internet now. Um, TikTok is our number one app uh, in terms of social media. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, I think TikTok is sort of just like the app right now that drives culture the most. Like it's just, it's the most popular. It's what's ascendant there. I mean, the product is light years ahead of anything that Instagram or YouTube have created. And it's where things happen. It's like, you know, if we're watching for like, even like the war in Ukraine or like the Maui fires, it's like, you're going on TikTok and you're looking for those firsthand accounts or like analysis videos. And I just think it's like where people are these days. How comfortable are you uh, in putting your face out there 
as a reporter of this news because you know you're a master of the written word but now you know you're out there you're I mean I was watching you as a talking head on that HQ documentary <laughs> you know you're making your own content and things like that how is, is that comfortable for you yeah I mean I had a snapchat show in 2016 and I've I launched another snapchat show before that like I've I hosted Facebook live shows like I've Oh, and I've done, I do tons of TV and um, I had a podcast at one point. So like, I'm very comfortable. I, I don't, it's weird that I'm even a writer because it's not, writing is sort of a means to an end. It's like how I can tell a story. And it's generally as a reporter, you're, you have to expect it to write articles, but um, I'm not like one of those people that's married to the written word. I think it's just one way to tell a story. And I try to like, especially if I have a big story, I put it out in lots of different formats because some people they'll never read a full article. You know, you've got to do the TikTok <laughs> breakdown video for them. And, and then some people really like the long read. Like some people will no, like, this, you know, it was that. really, I, 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 I was romanticizing reading this book. Like I took, I had like a beer and a burger finishing this book last week at like corner bistro. And I was like, look at me. Maybe somebody's going to see me reading a book. Like I was so <laughs> excited to be reading a book at a dinner that I was like, look at me. Um, but it's so funny because I'm just used to like, if I do that, I'm usually on my phone looking at TikTok, Instagram or something like that. So I was like, how funny is it that I'm romanticizing the written word when that's what I grew up with was just reading? It's so funny. I know. I I will say the highest praise that I think any author can get is that your book is a quick read because it means that people just sort of lost time, burned right? Like it. they just went into it and burned through it. And so I, yeah, I tried to keep my book. Like I, I did keep the chapters very short. I don't know if you noticed that, but I like tried to break the chapters up a lot and just try to keep it moving so that people didn't get like, because everyone's attention spans are so destroyed. I'm like, all right, you got to keep people hooked. And the notes section is huge. I mean, yeah. like, so the notes section is wild. Um, <laughs> I do want to say, like, in the very beginning, like I said, you brought up Tinsley Mortimer, which we yes. all, of course, legend from Real Housewives of New York. And, mm -hmm. uh, of course, uh, the little scene show High Society, which you've seen all of the episodes. I mean, just truly a star. But you pointed out uh, one of the first blogs she was a part of, not in the sense of creating it, but she was talked about. What was that first blog? Yeah. So it was called Socialite Rank. And... I opened the story with, or I opened the book with the story of Socialite Rank because Socialite Rank, I think, ended up just being this metaphor for how the entire internet turned out. Um, it was a blog that emerged in the mid aughts that just started ranking and like documenting New York City socialites. And everyone was just like, where did this come from? Because these socialites suddenly started to be like, what is this? Like, why am I ranked number three? Like, I want to be ranked number one or whatever. <laughs> and like, um, and everyone just assumed that it was another socialite, like 100%. People thought it was this guy, Peter Davis or Tinsley herself. And it wasn't. It was these two complete randoms that were yeah. basically doing it as like a social experiment. These Russian um, immigrants. And I think they were living on Staten Island or somewhere at but some isn't point. Isn't that hysterical but that everybody was like, who are these people? They are so inside. And people were really taking this seriously. It meant something. Yeah. And also, I mean, this was the era too, when party photos were being put on the internet for the first time. And so people were like a lot of their like party coverage, they were just going on Patrick McMullen and then writing about the party. <laughs> but like, people were like, how do they know all of this? And it's like, it's literally on the internet now, you know, but at the time... It was just so shocking. And there's a fantastic New York Magazine cover story called Number One Girl that was about the big reveal of when it was revealed that it was these two, you know, Russians. And um, and I just like that. I remember reading that story when I was young and being like, 
wait, this is crazy. I think the internet's going to change everything. And it really did. And it just, I think the whole world is socialite rank now. Like we're all sort of cognizant of our status. We're all ranked by these online metrics. So, so much is about our personal brand and performing online. And like, it just, it just seemed very like relevant. And I, I mean, thought they I, even pit, they even bit Tinsley against, um, what's her name? Olivia from the, Palermo, who was Olivia, on the city. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they pitted, like they started this, like they pitted these two women against each other and it was just two strangers. And it, oh, I, mean, totally. I was blown away by and that. And they didn't actually have beef really. Like they were just no, like, no. what is this? Like Olivia was like, younger and was just like, I don't know. I mean, it's just funny. And Olivia ended up being a huge influencer. And I I also think it's funny how like reality TV, like that era of reality TV, and I talk a little bit about in the book, also changed people's notions of fame in the aughts. Like you had the internet, like people bubbling up on the internet, and then you had sort of TV fame and what that meant sort of coming down almost with the the rise of reality TV. So it was all like intermingling. And Well, thank you for bringing reality TV up even more because I do know you are a fan of reality television. Yes. Um, (laughs) And uh, I just have to ask a couple of questions, if I may. I know you are a big reporter with an amazing book out but you do what what reality shows do you still watch oh god i mean everything i well i'm a bravo person and i've seen obviously so you, you have know, taste all the house ha- housewives but i'm also into the netflix reality show i mean selling sunset like did you watch the new do, are you watching selling the of oc course. Yes, I just started the OC. I mean, I watched last season and I just started this. It's hysterical. It's hysterical. And it's like that Adam DeVello, the Hills guy, produces that show and he hits you so hard with lights and music where it's like the thinnest storyline ever. sliced so thin, but you're like, I think I'm watching Citizen Kane because it's so (laughs) overpowering. It's so internet. I love it. I love it. I'll eat it up. I love a real estate show. Um, I loved, I mean, I loved Million Dollar Listing and all those too. And um, obviously Vanderpump rules. That Can is I get, my are you allowed to tell only. us, are you allowed to tell us your thoughts on Scandal? Where oh, you stand? 100%. I, first of all, I'm team Ariana, obviously. Wouldn't it um, be amazing if you ruined it all right? You're like, Ariana deserved it. I'm team Scandal. I'm team Sandoval. And I love his band. Um, let me tell you last night I w- I had a book event last night and I was with Dave Holmes. Um, iconic. I, I love Dave Holmes. He's been He's on the awesome. show. So cool. Huge reality fan as well. Um, and my other friend, Lindsay, who's an editor, she was editor at the New York times. And then now at the post with me and she was defending, um, she was saying they were too hard on Raquel during the Rachel at the reunion and sort of defending Rachel. And I was literally getting so triggered. I was like, <laughs> they were not hard enough on her. Do you know, like if I was in that situation, I would have been going ballistic and I'm well, sympathetic, but like, I thought it was completely appropriate. I'm it sympathetic and of course, Tom is the ultimate, ultimate bad guy. Yes. But yes. I will say, it's like we did it to ourselves expecting Rachel to come with anything. Like she never, it, it was it was the storyline. It wasn't her. She was never going to be able to step into a villain role because of the sense she's so confused about who she is to begin with. So when she stepped on to those reunions, it was almost doing herself a disservice. And that's why I was almost kind of like proud of her that she didn't do this season because yeah. it would have been more disappointment for the fans because she would have never been able to clearly communicate why she did this, how lost she is, which is by the way, very relatable for a lot of us, but she would never, it would have just made her look even worse. So I kind of thought, good for you not doing this season. I totally agree. I'm also glad that she's not doing it just for her own health. And I do actually have sympathy for her. I just think that like when that reunion was filmed, it was like weeks after it happened. And if I had been in Ariana's position, I would have gone ballistic on both of them. Ultimately, Tom is the bad guy in this situation. Like 
I mean, Tom, this is just, I've rewatched when all of it was happening, like many people, season three with Miami Girl. Like, I was like, let me go yeah. back because yeah. they, like, just, I just want. Can I to, beg you to? Can I beg you to write Bravo's history? Can I really, uh, the, the internet's history? You know, go back for Bravo's <laughs> history because that's. I would love your takes on Miami Girl right now. Oh my god, it's just so crazy because, like, I mean, now Ariana's like, yeah, I knew and whatever, whatever. But like, they just like gas. Like he's just such a gaslighter and was gaslighting everyone. And Jax, I mean, Jax is so problematic <laughs> and so many. I can't believe I'm saying like Team Jax on anything, but like, <laughs> I don't know. You kind of like it. Just it it. I, Andy's right that like they all have cheated over the years. No one with is, is without sin, I guess, other than like Katie. But, um, but I don't know. I I thought it was so awful. I mean, but so Tom awful. did it. Tom brought Jax and all these other goofballs back into the mix. Tom yes. did that single handedly, and yes. they're all. By the way, yeah, I guess they all do owe Sandoval a thank you. But it's like the weirdest thank you ever because I mean, talking about the internet, reality stars are like TikTok stars and YouTube stars in a certain way because you know like you just said with Miami girl and things is that Ariana knew is that he was, he's very careful of like wanting to hold on to this fame of mm -hmm. wanting to like, okay, how can I monopolize this? Or even uh, when Dodie was on my show or, or he was talking about Dodie on my show a while back before all this happened. And he said him and Dodie had broken up, but they had to go on watch what happens live. And they didn't, uh, they decided not to say anything and act like they were still together because they knew the optics would be bad for the show. And if you're thinking that far down the line, I mean, I was sitting here thinking he was the best guy in the world. Ugh, you know, like so I was calculating. Yeah, but but Taylor, I thought like here's I do a weird job. I'm a podcast. I'm a yeah. I, I do this weird job. He's a weird guy doing his band. I I just thought he was a different guy than he turned out to be. And I, of course, all this proof is out there now. But I just didn't view any of it. I just don't like it at all. Yeah, I I don't. I I think that that it shows a level of calculation, and it totally makes me believe how Rachel, like especially when he kicks like during the reunion when he kicks when they're in um, Rachel's trailer and he's like has his that like con conniption yeah. fit, you know, yeah. and like well, I'm not filming, dude. I'm not yeah. filming right now. Leave me alone. Yeah. It just shows like he's just so obsessed with like you know his image and like being you know presenting in a certain way, and it just like ugh, I don't know. It gets it grinds my gears. I don't like it. Wasn't it fascinating in terms? Yeah, who? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if people were like, I do like cheaters. They're actually kind of they're a lot of fun. But we watch this, and then the guy, in terms of just calculation, he still goes on a tour with his band yes. and leans into this, and almost yes. it was almost this not gaslighting, but this thing of like. Uh, should we like almost should we be happy for him like he was but once again he was doing that because he wanted his own image out there he wasn't doing it to be like a noble act nobody was asking his band to go out there no and the stuff he said about ariana it just bothered me i feel like any woman or actually any person that's like been with a gaslighter like you're just like listening to him be like no ariana and i like we really like weren't together for months or like it was on the down it's the classic like, thing the guys tell girls to yeah. be like no you can sleep with me we're it's pretty much done it's, it's pretty, pretty much, much over, over. She it's doesn't like, stock no, pins not. and batteries. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's so crazy to me, but it is so fascinating. I do think it like, I mean, everyone was saying like, this was supposed to be the last season. And I think that show that like awkward kind of almost last episode was supposed to be the finale. And then like things got crazy. So I'm, I think it's like, it's amazing as a viewer, like the drama has kept us all hooked. I'm definitely going to watch next season. Yeah. Do you have um, high hopes for next season? Because I, it's one of those things where I feel like this is Haley's comment. It only comes yeah. by every once in a while. We had written off this show, even though I was going, I was going to watch every episode for the end of time, but season eight and nine, not that great. And then 10 comes around and it reinvigorates the whole franchise where people started watching it for the first time from the beginning. You went back and watched season three. 
I know I rewatched it. I probably rewatched it like four times, like uh, if not more, <laughs> like over the course of my life, I've seen every episode multiple times, but um, yeah, I, I mean, look, it's never going to live up to like this past season. Cause it was so crazy, but I do think I am, I really want to see the fallout and I really want to see like how this group like navigates things. And, you know, there's just changes in everyone's lives. And I I'm excited to, I mean, I'm still going to watch and we'll see. But in what terms happens. of the internet and your book, Extremely Online, what I find fascinating and I hope they lean into is all of a sudden after two kind of subpar seasons where they're not getting the kind of brand deals they once were, they're all getting brand deals. And I was like, mm-hmm. how fascinating would it be if you have Sheena mad at Lala because they were up for the brand deal and only one got the brand deal? I want that kind of fourth wall to break and realize what we had, you know, what this show became was trying to get more Instagram followers, trying to get the same brand deals, trying to release a single. I mean, listen, Bethany Frankel or Frankel, however you want to call her, did that interview with Rachel. And then immediately that day, Sheena released a single was like, I'm going to, I'm going to hop on this, you know, I'm going to hop on this wave. They all now are these kind of media assassins. Yeah. And I think that's actually just reality TV generally. Like, I mean, actually Nick Vile was talking about this on his podcast recently about like how he felt like he was saying like, he felt like he was on the bachelor during like the best possible time because the networks hadn't totally sort of inserted themselves into the like ecosystem. So like you were, you were still getting tons of followers, but you didn't have all these like clauses like Bethany talks about where it's like they own part of any business that you launch now or whatever. Did you know Bethany created reality shows? Did you know she is the (laughs) creator of reality shows? I mean, you're right though. Like, I mean, there was was a time when it was was like, there was a time I think when it was like, you were still like, I would say 2016 to 2019 actually was like the best time to be on reality TV. I think now it's so competitive. And also the brand deals are so crazy. And everyone expects like, it happens. We're all waiting for Ariana's first brand deal when all this happens, like we know it's coming, you know? And so I think like, it's just gotten a little bit more like chaotic. But I mean, reality TV has always been a springboard for internet fame. And internet fame has also always been sort of like a way to get into reality TV. So the two are, have a very symbiotic relationship. A fun fact I always love is that the premiere of Twitter was the same night of the premiere of Real Housewives of Orange County season one, episode one. Wait, no way, really? Isn't that insane? <laughs> That's it's hilarious. the same night. And, you know, but it didn't take off the way that we all now go on there and badmouth like whatever reality show is on that night, like last night, Meredith Marks or Heather Gay uh, peeing herself and throwing up in a sprinter van. Everybody immediately goes on Twitter. But back then it just wasn't that. So you got this more pure form it it, almost you go back and watch these reality shows they almost play as documentaries now more than the michael bay spectacle that it's turned into yeah i tried to get a job um with kelly catrone because i watched kel on earth (laughs) 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 and uh, (laughs) i was just like i i want to be part of this like people's revolution like i'm gonna work there um and yeah but it's so funny because i was re-watching it recently for something else another story i was working on and i was like trying to find something out and Um, it's just, it's, it's so actually not like they are almost not aware of the internet in that show. Like it's so, it was such a different time and we didn't have social media the the way that we do now where everyone's sort of plugging their things and you just, it's this like subtext almost throughout the show. Um, so yeah, it reads more, it feels more like documentary 
like true, like a documentary almost. Which by the way, the internet does create all these stars, even now scammers uh, and things like that. You were actually interviewed on Anna Delvey's podcast yeah. recently, which I was like, how bizarre that must be for so many, you know, because I just look at this as a story or the Netflix show. And then I was like, wow, like she's interviewing you and you report on, you know, like I just found that so yeah. like almost inception in a way. <laughs> I know it was crazy. I wish she invited me over to her apartment to record and I couldn't, I'm in LA and I, I wasn't going <laughs> to like imagine there, winding but... up at Anna because she, she has to wear the braces. She, she has to stay in the apartment. Yeah. Right? Well, her and Kelly Catrone has I... some like party on her rooftop. I, I was like, all right, where's my invite? I want to come. What time. is going on? Um, what, uh, what can you hope with this book coming out? Which by the way, like I said, I know pre-orders matter. We got a week to pre-order this thing to make this really, really count um, because I think you are going to want this on your shelf. This is the perfect conversation piece. And as we head into holiday season, I'm telling you, moms, get this for your daughters. Uh, daughters, get this for your moms. Kid, everybody needs this book on their bookshelf, their coffee table. I'm telling you, it will spurn converse, spur conversations. But hey. what... What are you hoping for with this? Yeah, it also, like, I think it's been so fun to see the content that people have been making, like, out of this book. Like, a bunch of TikTokers have just been, like, pulling things out and being like, whoa, did you know, like, this crazy moment happened in, like, 2012? Or, like, there was the, there was this whole, like, family of Instagrammers that have all the big Instagram accounts in, like, 2013, and they were called the first family of Instagram. And one of them, like, there's just, like, all these, like, funny things in it that I think make for good conversation and, like, pop culture history. No, I mean, this is, this guys, this is barely scratching the surface of anything. <laughs> That's why you do need the book. And also just buy the book so she'll come on later and just talk about Vanderpump Rules when the new <laughs> season comes out. That's what we need. But in terms of promoting this, I'm sure you are completely exhausted. Just let people know, though, I was watching that party last night and Kathy Griffin, I mean, I've seen you. She, she's been doing these salons. Like my friend Meredith Lynch was there and my friend, you know, like you, all these people are getting together. What is that like to have somebody like Kathy Kathy Griffin, who I think is just a historical figure, figure in pop culture, you know, sit there and say these amazing things about you and your work. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I love, I'm always so honored. It's like, I, I think as a journalist, you sometimes get that where you have these random sort of people come out of the woodwork that appreciate your work. And sometimes they're celebrities and that's so cool. And yeah, I mean, I, I watched my life on the D list. So no. it, was, it was cool that she decided to say that stuff about me. And so random. I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, is there one reality star that you would like to read the book that you're like, you know what? I wish Ariana would read this. Mm, I mean, yeah, I have my favorites. <laughs> Wait, who I don't are know why Vicky Gumbelson came into my head. But <laughs> Can you imagine Vicky reading this book? I want Vicky to have a little book club with this book. <laughs> I want her, Teresa Judas. I want like all like my favorites from, you know, just random people over the years. I love, you know what? I love the, the OG housewives. Like I love the, like the early seasons of New York. Remember the yeah, Mount Rushmore. Ford? Oh my um, God. The Alex McCord and her husband, Simon. Simon. I mean, guys, you miss like the, go listen to Simon's single. I am real. You can find it on YouTube. <laughs> you know, there's a cover with him in red leather pants. He was so iconic. And we only know that now with history. Cause at the time I remember people making fun of them. And now I long for them. I want to see them on TV again. Bring them back. I want to, I want to bring back a lot of people from that era. Cause they didn't get their due. It was a little too early. Like you I said, know. So like we need a, we need, we need a resurgence. Um, I just want to end this with a passage that I liked from your book, which is extremely cringe for me reading this in front of you. Um, but uh, just about the internet 
you says uh, you say in the first passage is radically upended how we've understood and interacted with our world. It has demolished traditional barriers and empowered millions who were previously marginalized. It has created vast new sectors of our economy while devastating legacy institutions. It is often dismissed by traditionalists as a vacant fad when in fact it is the greatest and most disruptive change in modern capitalism. And if that is not the start of a damn good book, I don't know <laughs> what is. So if you guys are not rushing over to Amazon, please let me know so I can even encourage you further. Um, but Taylor, this was just such a, an amazing read and I know my audience is going to love this, but so amazing to talk to you. This really means so much to me. And thank you for being on one of the first weeks uh, uh, for me over at Betches. What a great get for me. And I just hope this book is so successful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm such a fan. So this was such a, this was so fun. Thank well, you. Please, once you, you're, there's never going to be a time that you're not busy, but I hope I get to talk to you again and we can just talk reality because your actual job is stressful as hell. You have to sometimes <laughs> wake up wondering if Elon Musk or Tucker Carlson is picking on you. Like that's insane. <laughs> that's nightmare fuel. It's crazy. It's, but it's, it's all in good fun. I love the internet. I love the chaos. And I, I'll, I'll get, I'll get you a uh, review of something about her once it opens because it's not too far from me, so. <laughs> Perfect. So Bad It's Good is a Betches Media production. The show is hosted and produced by me, Ryan Bailey, with Meditza Lopez and Sandra Fryer. Additional support provided by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Steinberg. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Video promotion by Laura Valencia. Be sure to send us your emails at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey at gmail.com and follow the show at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey on Instagram. And for additional craziness, go to Patreon.com forward slash SoBadIt'sGood. Stay bad, baddies. Betches.